Welcome to GivePod, the podcast of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Our guest today is a true community leader who has influenced significant change across our region, the 30th Lieutenant Governor of British Columbia and Governor of the Board of Trade, Janet Austin. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Bridget, for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to have this opportunity to chat with you. Really pleased to see you here. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you come in and speak to us is because you have such a unique perspective of the province in your role as LG. And you serve at a very complex time. The pandemic has shone inequities and healthcare in our workplace for individuals, for businesses, and has really unveiled a growing divisiveness in our society. But as a champion of social change, how have you been addressing these complex challenges, especially in the last two years of the pandemic? You're correct, Bridget. This has been an extraordinarily difficult time for so many people. Initially, I was heartened by what I believe to be a better understanding of our mutual interdependence, um, a greater degree of willingness to collaborate across partisan boundaries of society and across all of those different dimensions of society and economy. And I felt, you know, a real sense of of, um, the importance of compassion and empathy and our responsibility to people outside of our own circle of family and friends. And... Unfortunately, though, I've become quite concerned that the tide has shifted and that we have begun to see, I think, flowing from the frustrations that people are feeling, um, greater divisions in society. Um, And I think this has affected Canada as well as countries around the world. So it concerns me greatly. I think something that's important is to try to understand what the genesis of that is. So that is something I am attempting to do in my work as Lieutenant Governor. I'm uh, honoured to say that I will be hosting the Governor General and all the Vice Regals from across the country uh, at the end of November for a four-day conference. And uh, what we are doing in preparation of that is to do some survey work. So we're looking at survey work that was done about four or five years ago, perhaps five years ago, that looked at questions of belonging, um, connectedness, uh, willingness to listen to people whose views might be different from our own. And we're going to use that as a baseline and then try to identify the trends and shifts in society. Are we moving towards greater solidarity or or, uh, greater division? And I think it's really important to have the facts. Uh, When I assumed the role of Lieutenant Governor, I thought very seriously about what the role would allow me to do. And I wanted to satisfy myself that I could use the role in the platform in a way that was not just ceremonial. And I wanted to continue work that I had done, um, both as a volunteer and professionally, and work that I had been honoured to do with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. And so I thought very deeply about how I could use my current role um, in order to continue to bring profile and to amplify leading research about contemporary issues and to um, bring people together, to use the convening power of the office to bring people together to discuss challenging issues. And you really have integrated your background for those who might not know you before you were Lieutenant Governor, which probably is nobody listening to this because we've all known you for so long, but you started your career in the public sector in roles in Calgary and then you came to British Columbia, you worked at 
BC Housing, and then you spent many, many years as the CEO of the YWCA, helping to make lives better right across, really, the greater Vancouver region. You have won just about every award out there that you can win, from CEO of the Year, Influential Woman in Business, uh, the Board of Trade Community Leadership Award, and really a lot of these awards I could go on and on um, because there are so many, but it's really around social justice issues. So when you came into the role at, as Lieutenant Governor and you're thinking about how that can help influence, did you choose some particular areas of focus? Yeah, absolutely, I did. I identified three key themes that I wanted to champion uh, during my mandate, and they are reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, um, diversity, inclusion, belonging, and uh, equity in society and how we work towards that, really across all dimensions in society. And the third is democracy, because I have been increasingly concerned about the fragility of democracy in the current global context. Um, the growing trends towards authoritarianism, um, the uh, lack of respect that we see in many jurisdictions around the world, lack of respect for democratic conventions and the public institutions that support them. Um, Add to this the challenges of uh, technological innovation, which is changing absolutely everything, and then the the importance of social media as a real driver of culture and and uh, opinion and belief. So we really, in many ways, are facing a kind of a nexus, a, a perfect storm. And I wanted to be able to continue to work on these on these three key themes in my current role, and I'm pleased to have had the opportunity to do so. And at the Board of Trade, we're really seeing many of the same issues that you are speaking about. We are launching a new program called the Engage Leadership Program. And the pandemic especially has taught us that engaged citizens make stronger, healthier, more connected communities. And emerging leaders with those strong leadership skills, the values, community involvement, are not only key to their own development, but it's key to economic recovery and resiliency. So... Thinking about you as a leader, how would you describe resilient leadership and why is it important? Mm -hmm. Well, I think resilient leadership really is about adaptability and about flexibility. It's about the the ability to to change with changing circumstances, um, the ability to try things without having to have defined what perfection is first, you know, to try things, to iterate, to innovate. If things work, you can build on them. If they don't work, well, you learn something from that and you, and you, you take a different direction. And so I think that type of leadership, that leadership style is particularly important. Uh, I also think that resilient leadership, in order for it to be effective, needs to be based in consistent values-based behaviors. Can you explain that a little bit? I think it's important um, for leaders to be consistent uh, in in the values that they express, but for there to be continuity between what they say and what they do, right? And we don't see that often enough. Well, I think I think often, you know, it's very common for for organizations, and I've certainly been part of, of many, where the management team and and the um, 
board of directors will go into a room and they'll have a discussion about values and they come out and the values are changed. But there isn't a subsequent discussion about how those values are actually manifest in the workplace. What does this mean for how I do my job? What does this mean for how we interact with each other? And I think it's more than just putting the words on the wall. It's it's really working on an ongoing basis with leadership, role modeling, but also with frontline staff to discuss how, how do I actually enact these values in my day-to-day behavior? And we're certainly seeing consumers and employees really demanding that, whether we're talking about, um, you know, the, the decline in trust in institutions, which the Edelman Trust Barometer has talked about for a long time, but consumers really demanding much more from the organizations they interact with. In addition, younger people are really driving this change as well. And you work with a number of young people through the LG Youth Advisory Council. What are you hearing from that group? <laughs> well, I formed that group because I felt it was really important um, to to understand what young people are thinking, you know, what they think about our society, how they see their role in it, how they see opportunities. So it's been a really valuable experience for me um, to spend time with them, to talk about the issues that are important to them. And I'd say overwhelmingly, young people want action, you know. They're, they're, they're used to a lot of talk, you know, but they want to, they want action and they're impatient. And there's something really positive about that. That's tough for many of us in the business community. Um, I think in the pandemic, we've learned that we can act a lot faster than we thought we could. So there is that. But in the business community, you know, some of this drive for action, it's harder to balance with the need to sit back and and reflect Mm -hmm. and to be strategic. So how does the business community respond to what the younger generation wants, but still make sure there is thoughtful process along mm-hmm. the way? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, I know when I was younger, I wanted action too, you know, and I, I, I thought mistakenly that I knew a lot more than I actually did. And it's really just the, you know, by virtue of, of the school of hard knocks that I've learned a lot of the things and acquired a lot of the you know, the practices that have helped me along the way. Um, So I, you know, I understand that. But when I say there's something really important about that, I think it's good for us in leadership positions to feel some pressure around this, you know, And, and, and not to just, not to ever be questioned, you know. I think it's good that we're questioned, and I think we need to create the conditions where we encourage that kind of questioning and we encourage that challenging. That's not to say when somebody raises a point that they'd like to see change that we're always in a position to do it or that it's wise to do it. But if we commit to those conversations in a thoughtful, um, sustained manner, I think it can build trust and understanding. So it takes time and it takes effort and it takes us away from the mechanics of the work, which sometimes we might feel are more important and sometimes they are more important. But it's, it's an investment in uh, a a relationship, it's an opportunity to learn, um, and it's also building the kind of culture of trust that I think will distinguish organizations in the future. So just wanting something to change doesn't mean that it needs to change, but we need to have a conversation about why not. I couldn't agree with you more, and the why not we have learned in the pandemic that uh, when there is a sense of urgency, many things can happen. And 
I would like to think that the business community is taking that away, whether we're talking about climate change or we're talking about reconciliation, that we have proven that, you know, to use words that we've used through the pandemic, we can pivot, we can act much faster than we thought. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have to say, the Board of Trade has been an absolutely stellar example of that. And I, Bridget, you. I give you and your your leadership team, your Board of Directors, like full credit. I've been so proud of watching you and seeing you pivot. Um, but the way that you've actually been able to um, maximize the impact of the Board of Trade in the circumstances, increasing your audience to the extent that you have, innovating around um, online communication and and being able to take the organization in a way that in the future will benefit greatly from the technological shifts that you've been able to make. So I think you you know you need to take some credit. Um, uh, the Board of Trade has really set an example for many organizations and that many of us can learn from. Thank you. That's that's very kind. I do think that business has an obligation to lead in change, and in part because there is declining trust in, in other institutions, uh, including government. And I, I do think that collaboration is part of that, but leadership is, is key. And given that we are launching this Engage Leadership program, I'd like to go back to your thought around the fragility of democracy, because mm-hmm. those are really difficult conversations to have. The conversations that you and I had uh, back earlier in the pandemic around the need for um, some of the, the very disturbing situations that were happening around anti-Asian racism and, and some of those situations. So how do we make space for these difficult conversations? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have to make space, and that means taking the time. Um, but I think people in leadership positions also need to do some role modeling and, and, and set some examples around what, what that actually looks like. So I, you know, I was initially approached by um, leaders in the Asian business community um, and also by the, um, by the provincial government in a, in a nonpartisan way Um, to take some leadership in standing up and opposing that. I felt it was important that we broaden the message to um, capture the need to stand up against all forms of hate. There are many other uh, sectors in our society, demographic groups that experience hate. And so that is something I've really been been proud to work on over the past few years, and I think that work needs to continue. So I, I, I think when you're in a leadership position, you have an obligation Um, to speak up on these issues. There are challenging conversations, no question. I think it's also important for us to role model how we conduct those conversations. So, So it's so easy for us to go into a discussion preparing to win our point, you know, to dominate, to convince others to our point of view. But what difference it makes if you enter those conversations with a willingness to listen, with a recognition that others may have important points, uh, with a willingness to change your position when based uh, when when it, um, faced with uh, superior reasoning, argumentation, rationale. So, I think the more we can bring that kind of ethic into those challenging conversations the better we'll be. That doesn't mean we're going to fold like a deck chair when somebody tells us something that's different from from what we what we want. But to to really try to get underneath why people hold the beliefs they do. Sometimes it's fear-based. Sometimes it's based on lack of information. Sometimes it's tribal and needing to be part of a particular group. 
Um, and sometimes they're just right, you know? So, so I think practicing those skills is something we don't talk enough about. Civil discourse uh, and the fragility of democracy, I mean, it really speaks to that. And playing a leadership role speaks to one element of this new program around mentorship. One of the other elements is about community engagement and contribution. I mean, Dr. Don Ricks, who was the, the person, the leader in their business community that actually set up the endowment fund that is allowing um, some of this programming to happen, really, I think, uh, exemplified what that meant to be a leader and to contribute to community. Why do you think engaged community or engaged citizens are important to communities? Well, first of all, we all loved Dr. Ricks. <laughs> he was just a marvelous man, and he left such a wonderful, a wonderful legacy for the Board of Trade. And, and I'm really thrilled to see you taking this on, Bridget. I think it's really needed at this time. Um, I guess I think, um, you know, there are a lot of, there are some really important opportunities for us to, um, carry this discussion forward and there are um, I think that that uh, I guess I'll put it like this that engagement in community is really fundamental to building civil society I mean I'm a product of civil society myself when we talk about supporting uh, democracy and democratic institutions often people think that means you must be politically engaged and that can be, that's a really good thing. I have enormous respect for people who do engage directly in, in uh, political life and to take on those, those roles. Um, they don't, we don't give them nearly enough credit, nearly enough thanks, and we ask a huge amount of them. And I think as a society, we need to recognize that. But, but if you participate in civil society, if you're part of working on issues that you think are important in society, that builds... Um, that builds our democracy. It's really fundamental. And that's, again, an aspect of supporting the smooth functioning um, of our governance system is, is, is really key. I also think it's important for us to have conversations about what are the characteristics that make a society function well or not and to think seriously about it. I think uh, we, we take many things about our democracy for granted, and we only have to look around the world, you know, to see the impact of the rise of authoritarianism, the, um, you know, disappearance of human rights in many jurisdictions where we had believed that they were firmly entrenched in the past, to see that, that we, need to, we need to continue to nurture um, and to value our democratic traditions or we will lose them. You have dedicated your entire career to impacting and influencing change for for good and impacting and influencing so many lives in, in the process. But in your role as Lieutenant Governor, and you've been in that role for about three and a half years, <laughs> what would you say has surprised you the most? <laughs> well, you know, Bridget, I never expected to be Lieutenant Governor. It is the last thing in the world. <laughs> that I, I ever thought would happen. Um, however, I don't, you know, I haven't been surprised. I think I had a pretty good understanding of what the expectations of the role would be. And I'll also say that I did my due diligence, you know, before I allowed my name to go forward and thought really seriously about how I could use the role, what would be expected of me, not only what the opportunities were, but what the constraints were, you know. 
So um, this was not a surprise, but one of the things that is a bit challenging for me is I love to talk about ideas, and I love to talk about policy ideas. But when you're the lieutenant governor, you know, you, you need to make sure that you don't inadvertently segue into the legitimate territory of our duly elected officials. However, I have considerable convening power in my role, and I use that power to bring people together um, who represent different ideas, different views around a common issue, and bring them together for confidential discussion in, in a safe environment with Chatham House rules where people can hopefully talk through some of these challenges um, in a way that they wouldn't be able to publicly. So I found ways um, to work um, in the role um, that enable me to continue to do um, some of the work that I have done historically and feel really proud to have been involved with. Speaking about creating that kind of space for those challenging conversations, at some point, and I hope it's not soon, (laughs) your term will end. So how will you stay involved in some of these issues that matter so much that you have dedicated your whole career to? Uh, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like, Bridget, and I, I haven't, uh, I certainly haven't made any plans um, at, at this stage, but I certainly don't intend to disappear into the sunset. Um, you know, I think uh, work gives life meaning and purpose and structure. Uh, I don't intend to sort of take another day job necessarily, um, but uh, perhaps I may have opportunities to do some of the board work that, that I have done in the past. Uh, it was such a privilege to be part of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, you know, to serve as chair, um, and a privilege to work with organizations like TransLink, um, you know, many nonprofit uh, organizations that have really shaped my values and my views about what's important in life and, and in society. So hopefully I'll, I'll have an opportunity to do some of that. I may go back to school. I may, who knows, you know. I really, I, I just know that I want to stay involved and if you have any ideas, I'm always <laughs> open to hearing I'm them. sure we have lots of ideas, and many people listening will have ideas. But I should say, again, your term is not ending anytime soon. I just know that with your devotion to these these issues and to social justice and social change, that there's no question that you'll continue to influence and, and have impact in our region. I hope so, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Your Honour, Janet. It's been a delight, really. Very grateful for the time to speak to you. Bridget, it's been such a delight for me as well. All the very best to you and your listeners. And I will just say, I love the Board of Trade. Thank you.